0: Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com.
1: Before we get started, would you stand with me? And um, as we we do on Sunday mornings, we... um, We recite the Lord's Prayer together as a community. And uh, so let us begin. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in Charlottesville as it is in heaven. Give us and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Remain standing as I offer prayer. Lord, we do thank you for the moments that we have been able to engage you, the living God, in worship and to recite and to speak and sing words of truth about you and your work in our lives. Thank you, too, now, Lord, for the moments ahead of us uh, when the word of God now is to be engaged, then we ask, O oh God, that it will fall where it needs to fall, in our hearts and our souls, and um, that we would uh, be mindful of your presence here and as we go from this place. And we pray it in your name, O oh Lord. Amen. Please have a seat. Uh, Maybe some of you are wondering who I am. I'm standing up here. I'm not Pete. I'm not Peter. Uh, My name is not Peter or Pete or Pedro. Um, But uh, I'm Gabe, uh, and I'm one of the uh, staff members here. I do congregational care here at City Church, and it, it really is my privilege to serve in this way and to also serve this morning and contribute to uh, the the scope of what we're going, what we're focusing on this morning, and that is kingdom living and serving others, and um, and as we begin, I would like you to to imagine, because I think you have an imagination about this, and I want you to ask yourself, um, what is the church? What does it look like? What opinions do I have? about the church and what it should look like and what it should be. So I want you to hold that as we um, begin this morning. Ever since I was 12 years old, when I stepped into faith, into following Jesus, responding to an invitation that was was offered at my local church in my small town in Hawaii, um, I have a growing love for the local church. And this love has developed and matured over the years, and it does for all of us for sure. And as I think about my experience growing up in that little church in Hawaii, I, I, I'm, I don't wonder why it was such a, a wonderful experience and wonderful place. Some of the features of this church community that were compelling was one, it was an authentic community. It was a community of people who were not really interested in pretending or playing a game. A lot of that culture was shaped by the Jesus Revolution people. My pastor himself was from Costa Mesa, California. He had long hair. He had a long beard. He looked like those pictures of Jesus. And he was among several that was a part of our church community, and we used to call them, uh, I hope this is not offensive, but we called them granolas, And uh, and we did life together as granolas, and it was a wonderful, authentic community. But this was also a community that was welcoming of people that were living out of their own brokenness. It was a non-judgmental community, and yes, it was a community that was founded and rooted in in the truths about who God is, who Jesus is, by His Word. Um, And but none of these features were really ever. Posted on a wall anywhere, or we never really recited, you know, these things on a Sunday morning. Uh, These features were lived out. In a group of people who who didn't really know any better and and who lived into what it means to take ownership of their community. And there was only one paid staff, and that was the pastor. Otherwise, the rest of the functioning of the church was actually done and led by lay people. Worship, um, children's ministry, youth ministry, Bible studies, evangelism, all these things. And even the janitorial services were done by lay folks. Uh, People who were uh, members of our different Bible studies would sign up every month on a rotating basis and take care of the facilities. Um, And I'm hopeful that you don't Feel nervous about joining a life group at City Church, where Pastor Keith is going to require that of you, um, or will he not? I don't know. <laughs> but um, those were features of the church that I loved, and I grew to love, and it was an important experience for me because it laid, it set the table for my relationship to the church uh, from those years forward, and I certainly, I certainly stand here to. Before you to say that I love our church and I have we have loved our church for the 15 years that we have been a part of this church and um, and I I, and I get to be a part of the team that leads this church. So it's a real privilege. What is the church to you? To me, the church looks like this and. And it comes from the, the book of chapter two of Acts, verse 43 and following. Um, And it reads this way. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. This experience is on the heels an outcome of the work of the Holy Spirit who came upon a group of believers gathered in Jerusalem. We know now as the day of Pentecost. And I don't think it is far-fetched for us to imagine a church like that even today. The details are going to be different, but the spirit of what occurred there should resemble what that first church experienced. So I do believe that the same Holy Spirit is active in us today as he was then. And the text this morning is from Paul's letter to the the church in Rome, and this was a church community that he didn't plant, in fact. Now he had aspirations to visit on his way to Spain. The people who, and it's believed, who planted that church were people who returned from the day of Pentecost, who had gathered for Passover, and then the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit out poured out upon this people. You can read about it in Acts chapter 2, and they returned to their homes. And Rome was one of these places, and there I don't think they could help themselves but plant a new community of believers in Rome and Paul was writing his letter to the Romans from the from this uh, Greek city called Corinth, uh, which is why there are some familiar themes between uh, the letter to Romans and the letter to the Corinthians and the church in these days were scattered they were they met in church, they met in houses. They were church, house church is what they were called. And and Paul's letters were meant to be circulated from house church to house church, from community to community. And the letter to the church in Rome um, served as kind of a unifying instrument around some key truths that Paul um, expressed and asserted in these letters. Paul in chapters 1 through 11 lays out the foundation for what he's about to tell us in our passage this morning in Romans 12. For in Romans 1 through 11, Paul lays out the fact that humanity is broken into pieces. And that we have a need for redemption and salvation. That is not obtained through the observance of practicing In observing the law, but rather in yielding ourselves over to the work of Christ. The crucified and resurrected Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. And then Paul transitions from that to what he's going to begin to tell us in Romans 12, where we are to understand what it looks like now what it looks like for us to live into this new identity as people who have been redeemed by Christ. So let's read our passage this morning, verse uh, chapter 12, verses um, 1 through 8. It reads this way. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, on the basis of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For um, For by the grace God has given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and not all the members have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually, we are members of one another. Or, in another translation, we belong to one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion of faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the encourager in encouragement, the giver in sincerity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. I have just a few brief thoughts to share about this passage, and I think that bears relevance to our emphasis this morning and, um, and what we've been emphasizing on kingdom living and what it means to serve one another, to serve the church. Paul begins by saying, I appeal to you, therefore... And Pastor Keith reminded us, uh, Keith actually reminded us in staff the other day, that when there is a therefore, it's therefore something. And this therefore, it's there to connect everything that came before this chapter to now this pivot, pivot that Paul is making. As I mentioned earlier, he's going from moving from who we are to now how we behave. What should that look like, Right? And uh, it's an, there's an interesting link back to chapter one, um, where Paul describes. If you've read chapter one, if you know this chapter, it's a kind of a grim start when he when he talks about humanity. He says, you know, that we're depraved, and you know, humanity is spiraling downward, you know, in in foolish and false worship and, and corruptible thinking. That links to this. This chapter here, where, where we are meant to now experience the contrast and reversal of all of that. False and foolish worship now is reversed by people who are now called to be living sacrifices in worship. Paul does, cannot overemphasize the truth that who we are is what matters most. And in chapters 1 through 11, Paul tells us time and again, lays out the argument and foundation for the fact that we are being formed into new creatures in Christ. He uses the language of metamorphosis, that, that process that a caterpillar goes through to become a butterfly. It is a radical transformation. It is not a label that we wear. It is our identity, and we are becoming that. In chapter 6, Of Romans, Paul tells us, Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were buried into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in newness of life. And further on, Paul says that we are to present ourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. This is a radical work of the Spirit in us. He is changing us from the inside out. We are meant to be different, not just to look different. And of course, we are meant to behave differently. And, and, and can you imagine a church of people who are so radically changing? We are in process, which means that we need to hold grace and space for our flaws and our failings but we are in process we are oriented in the direction that god is calling us to and transforming us to but can you imagine a church full of people who are in this process imagine that then what should a church look like if that is the case right then paul goes on to say on the basis of god's mercy this this underscores the fact that it is god's mercy by which we by which we Yet to be transformed by his work, both on the cross, in his resurrection, and by the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. This is the rationale for our response to that work by his mercy. And Paul is saying, this is once who you were, but now this is who you are in Christ. And then he employs a metaphor that is, or not metaphor, a motif that is familiar to his primarily Jewish audience when he talks about sacrifices. A reference to the sacrificial system that Christ made obsolete through his own sacrifice and resurrection from the dead. Paul calls us living sacrifices, that we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices, as opposed to presenting dead sacrifices to the altar. That was a religious practice that Jesus made obsolete. Now we are children of God. And the sacrifice, whatever that sacrifice means, is that we bring ourselves as living sacrifice. By the way, when I think about this, I put, I think about Jesus' sacrifice, It kind of puts things into perspective for me. Yes, we make many sacrifices, and there are things that are inconvenient to us, I suppose. But can I just say to you that it's Jesus who made all the sacrifices. And so whatever sacrifices we make, take on a different perspective because of that. But being living sacrifices means... That this is an ongoing process as well, right? Not an occasional thing that we did on on, on a calendar, that we practice on a calendar. Being living sacrifices also means that this is not mere religious practice that keeps us in good stead to be uh, to continue to be good members of a particular club called Christianity. It's a living sacrifice that comes out of who we are. I I can't overemphasize what Paul is emphasizing here, and that is, it is about who we are, not about the labels we might wear, not about the team that we might cheer for. And then Paul goes on to say, relevantly, that we, therefore, are not to be conformed to this world, to this age, to the values and the commitments of this world. Commitments and values that run contrary to the, kingdom, to the values of the kingdom of God and that we are to be renewed by our minds are to be renewed by the work of the transforming work of the spirit in our lives. This means that we are to entrust our minds over to the work of the spirit. And the outcome, the outcome of this renewal of the mind, he says, right, is that we may know, that we may discern the will of God. Think about that. Absent of the work of the Spirit, absent of allowing our minds to be transformed, renewed by the work of the Spirit, we do not really have access to God's mind, to his will. Think about the gift that it is. It's, it's much like family. In our family, I think our kids know us well enough. They're adult now, adults now, but they know us well enough to know how we think and what we think about certain things. They can finish our sentences, and we can finish theirs, you know. It's familiarity, right? And, and this is what it's like in our relationship with the Lord. We have access now to being children of God, to being part of God's family. And the more we allow ourselves to keep company with God and allow him to keep company with us, we would know him more and more. It makes sense, doesn't it? And we come to resemble more and more the characteristics of our heavenly father. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians of being transformed into the likeness and image of Jesus from glory to glory to glory. We are being transformed. I told the earlier service that my youth pastor, uh, her name was Judy, and she, they were a biracial couple. She was Caucasian, and he's Japanese. And whenever she introduced themselves, and she would add this to the end of that, don't we look like each other? And strangely enough, they did. And it's because the more time they spent with each other, the more they shared um, habits and physical features. I mean, not features, but um, certain gestures. And, you know, I, I do this thing with my eyebrows and my kids do it, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And, and it's true. The more we expose, are, are exposed to each other, Maybe that's a frightening thought for some of you. I don't know. But um, the more we are exposed to, to the Lord, the more we take on his characteristics. Again, this is about who we are, not merely what we do. What we do doesn't really define us in that way. And And the renewal of our mind results in having a humble self-awareness of our abilities. An awareness that we belong to each other. Paul does list out some gifts, but... I'm going to say this morning that while those are important, they're not the main point. Paul uses the illustration of the body saying that we each of us are part of the body and each part has a function. And those of us, well, all of us who are familiar with our bodies know this. We don't have to be um, physicians or people that familiar with anatomy to know that each part functions, has a function, Right. And Paul is saying, yes, we do have a certain place, certain roles. The liver is different, roles different than the heart. I don't know where I am. I'm not. Those of you who are doctors, please forgive me. Um, The ear has a different role than the foot, you know, and, and all that. But they're all very important, right? To make this body what it is and to function in the way that it is meant to function, right? The body of Christ is the same way. We are a part of this body, and we each have a part to play. But but I think Paul's emphasis here is not where we play our part merely, but the fact that we do have a part to play. And that's the message I want to get out to us today, is that out of the place of who we are in Jesus, we have a place in the body of Christ and a part to play. I'm gonna invite us to look at the video of a couple of testimonies of people who have been serving at City Church, some who have been serving for quite a little while. And then Pastor Blake will be out here to help us, um, encourage us uh, in a way to uh, put feet to our faith, okay?
2: Hello, I'm Ray Mars.
3: And I'm Kim.
1: We teach in kids' space, we teach four and five year olds,
2: and we've been doing it for 23 years.
3: Yeah, we're in the zebra room, and we um, started teaching when our youngest son was three years old, now he's 26 and grown. So we've seen a lot of children grow up and love watching them worship and love the Lord and um, seeing them grow and mature. The joy of being here with the kids, as well as interacting with their families, and. Getting to know them on a real personal level, is really special.
1: To me, that's what it's all about. Watching them come through that door and come over and run over and give you a hug. That's my favorite part.
3: So it's a lot of fun, too, watching them grow up. So 23 years we've seen kids grow up throughout the church and now go off to college. And some gotten married. And So that's a real blessing to watch them grow. And, they, and then the joy of seeing them come so, run to us.
1: Some of them have their own children
3: we're really fortunate because the whole kids space team makes it really easy um, they have everything prepared for us every sunday we walk in and just love being with the kids
1: the children are a true blessing you know, I, you know it, it's just every sunday i look
2: forward to being with the kids that are going to be in here hey my name is jay Ayello,
0: and i'm haley aiello
2: and we have gone to city for quite some time and we've served on the welcome team here for the past two to three years here. Um, One uh, one of the big reasons why we serve at City is first because that's just the calling of a Christian is to serve others. Uh, And two, it's also a big aspect of City Church itself. So um, relationally driven, uh, spirit-led, and serving others. And so we are big into uh, living into that role that, that City has called us into.
0: I started serving on Welcome Team because Jay did. We started doing it during COVID. I don't know if you guys remember, but um, when the services were outside, um, we were serving on Welcome Team then. And it just kind of stuck when we moved back into the building.
2: Yeah, and one of the things that um, Welcome Team has kind of reminded me of is, or serving on Welcome Team has reminded me of, is that church is not about consuming for yourself. It's about the whole community coming together and serving each other. And so when I come into church on Sunday, I'm not just sitting there looking for great worship and to hear a great sermon, but instead it's to be in community with everyone around me.
0: Your church community is one of the most important communities, I think, um, that you have in in your life. You have your friends, you have your family. Um, Hopefully those overlap with your church community. You have your work, Um, but church is a community. It's a family that you're always going to be part of. And I think one of the most beneficial things that you can do in your community in the relationships that you have is contribute to it in um, one way that City makes that really easy to do is by um, joining one of these service teams, whether it be welcome team or another one, it allows you to give back to this community that gives you so much each time you come to church or go to any of the other events throughout the week. I have met so many more people than I would have at City otherwise just seeing you all come in saying hi, and then in turn um, seeing you all walk out. um, And you know, on the lucky days where we have an ice cream truck or something, being able to be excited with you all about that at the end too.
2: I either greet people by the door or I help with parking. Um, One of the big reasons I like to do and and serve on Welcome Team is because I get get to see a bunch of different people um, that I usually probably wouldn't see face to face if I wasn't standing right by the door welcoming as they come in. Uh, that's allowed me to make new relationships and also just be more aware of who is part of our church.